Hello and welcome to Poetry Non-Stop. I'm Patrick Widdis and on this episode we look at the haiku with Paul Chambers, an award-winning poet who has made this succinct and beautiful, often misunderstood form his specialty. I met up with Paul in Newport, South Wales, not far from where he lives, and he began by explaining that while haikus are short, they can still take a long time to write. Alright, so I'll read this first one. This one took me like three years to, to write this one. It was a, a long process. This one is Meadow Sweet, Notes of a Blackbird After Rain. Meadow Sweet, Notes of a Blackbird After Rain. And you read each poem twice in a haiku. That's kind of the tradition behind it. So you read once for the head, once for the heart. So it just kind of gives it that little bit, because they're so fleeting, it gives you that bit of time to for it to resonate into, right. with you. So, <laughs> yeah, but that one, the way haiku works is you have um, a phrase, which is two lines of the poem, which tends to be the foreground imagery of a moment. And then you set that against um, the seasonal backdrop, if you like, more like um, a sense of place. And so with that poem, I had notes of a blackbird after rain, and you kind of that kind of sensory quality to that. But I couldn't find the the opening line, so I ended up with meadow sweet because I think it has a sort of onomatopoeic quality, like uh, the way the blackbird song sounds on wet grass has that kind of sweetness to it. Um, but it took me probably about forty or fifty attempts at. A first line to get that one to get that one right but thankfully I, I feel like I managed it and it got picked up by a respected journal and published last year um, so yeah so that that's a tough one and I guess it kind of shows that even for something so fleeting you know I mean it, it, they're kind of one breath poems it can take an awful lot of time to get them to get them where you want them to be and to get them feeling just right just so and so when you wrote that uh, haiku, had, had you been writing haiku for a long time? Yeah, I've been sort of exploring it for about eight or nine years, I would say. Um, but a substantial part of that time is just writing really bad poetry. Because the, t- the tendency is when you first start writing haiku, because you read a lot of the quality of the, the traditional masters of the form... Um, which carries a lot of Zen qualities, the Zen Buddhist qualities, is you tend to try and write things that are just very profound or clever that are neither of those things when you actually mm. come to look at them critically. Um, but it takes, I guess like any form of poetry, it takes a while to to get your voice and to, to centre yourself in the experiences that you, you're trying to share and to capture. So I'd, I'd say, I think that one was about two years ago I wrote that, so I was a bit more comfortable with my craft by that point. Yeah, I'd say it developed quite a lot from those sort of frivolous attempts that I started with for the first maybe two years. Yeah, but what got you interested in haiku? Well, I've always written poetry, but as kind of the vast majority of it was written, I would say, under the influence of people like Dylan Thomas, um, the French symbolist poets, the romantics. Um, but what I was finding in terms of when I was coming to write my own work was I'd maybe have a line or two that I felt was quality or captured the essence of what I was trying to say. But then I felt this pressure to kind of overwrite the poem to fit in a kind of a more standard form or a standard length that 
they almost served as fragments which weren't enough for standalone poems. Uh, but I came across the book of haikus that Jack Kerouac had written, and that was kind of the liberation point for me. And I felt like I'd been looking at things through the wrong end of the telescope in that, you know, I was just restricting myself by overwriting poems from a base point of two or three decent lines. Whereas actually the freedom comes in the reverse, in those little forms can give you so much scope and suggestiveness and mystery that I'd kind of misconstrued in, in my own attempts at writing. So it was when I'd come across and read those, it kind of led me on to further haiku, but um, it was really that kind of the freedom of those Kerouac verses just really resonated with me. And I think art generally, especially poetry, is finding a way to communicate to life the way life communicates to you. And when that aligns, it really kind of puts you on the right path, I think. And definitely coming across haiku was, was that point for me. Yeah, yeah. And, and I guess it's as much what you leave out as what you put in. Yeah, short absolutely. Times. I think it was Miles Davis said that the silence between the notes is just as important as the notes themselves. And you definitely get that with a, with a haiku. It's been described as a half-finished poem or a half-written poem because it kind of has a demand on a reader to fill in those spaces that you leave out with their own kind of sensual memories or experiences. And so, yeah, allowing the space for that to happen, for a reader to feel themselves into the moment that you're sharing through a haiku is, is really the measure of the craft, I would say, to, mm. to, to get that kind of space in and the lightness of the poem just right. Yeah, um, so is there much audience for haiku at the moment? Yeah, I mean, it's growing all the time, to be honest. And um, it's there are quite a few very high-quality journals in, in English language. In Japan, I think there are probably over a million people write them. Um, so we're not really anywhere near that in, in Western countries. But it's definitely a form that's becoming more appreciated and, and more understood, I think, and you tend to see a lot more, um, what do you say, established traditional poets, if you like. They're kind of veering into it and going beyond just experimenting or being frivolous with it. They're kind of looking more deeply into things and, and having to go at their own haiku. So, yeah, I, I, th I think it's, um, it's something that's growing all the time and haiku societies pop up here and there um, and they're, they're kind of well-respected, well-attended things so, yeah, I, I, mean, I think it was kind of obscure or misconstrued, misunderstood for a long time. But I feel like the critical appreciation for it is, is really beginning to flourish now. Yeah. And uh, you edit the Wales Haiku Journal? Yeah. Uh, so that's an online journal we set up a few years ago in partnership with the Wales Arts Review. But it's kind of linking to what you're asking me then about the, the growth of the form. Um, so this is an online journal... But what I was finding with the majority of online journals was the production quality wasn't quite there. And I, I mean, I could be wrong in this, but I kind of feel like people that were interested in the form and would seek out those spaces, the lack of production quality might turn them away and kind of you lose the sense of the seriousness and the, and the gravitas of the form. And so the philosophy behind it was to create a, a high-quality journal both in terms of the content but really the the let's say the production quality of the journal itself uh, but it's proved really popular and 
on the one hand, we have a lot of Welsh poets and Welsh interest in the special features, the essays that we write, but also just the traditional poetry submissions that we get. Um, so that's good because Wales has a real strength of haiku that probably didn't really have a focal point before the journal was established, but it's given a lot of scope and um, spreading awareness of Welsh haiku, I feel, on the one hand. But on the other hand, thankfully, we've been able to have a lot of really well-respected and established um, poets from around the world. We've published on every continent, I think, poets from every continent. Um, and it's uh, it's just really rewarding to, to work with those people that have been in, you know, sometimes half a century of engaging in and developing the form and others that are completely brand new to it, you know what I mean, and, and sharing that space in a kind of a democratic and fair way. It's, it's just really rewarding because it's it's so much focus on the form, you know what I mean, mm. and that's that's kind of the way it should be, I think. Yeah, and do you try to follow the traditional Japanese form? In, in terms of the syllable counts or um, the... Yeah, and uh, using C's and words and those... Yeah, that element much more than, than the syllables, to be honest. So um, kind of setting your foreground imagery of sensory experience or perception against the the cycle of the seasons is something that allows people to identify with what you're doing because you can touch on the things that never change. You know, the eternal cycle of seasons helps people feel a connection to your work. So those elements are important. The use of um, a juxtapositional structure that gives the poem contrast and therefore deepens its meaning and its resonance and allows for more um, interpretation on the part of a reader. Those elements definitely we I would try and follow myself. And in terms of editing the journal, that's kind of the qualities that you look for. The simple direct language, you know, that sort of simple as porridge type qualities. But the syllable counts not so much. Um, and I know that's one of the more controversial elements of haiku in English is that they tend to not follow that 575 system that people believe that what essentially defines the haiku is, is the syllable count. So it's quite a thorny issue. But really that appropriation is, is a mistaken one. So... In Japanese, they count sound units, the units of sound, rather than syllables, and they're not equivalent. So a Japanese sound unit isn't the equivalent of a English syllable or a Romantic language syllable. So 17 sound units in Japanese um, works out roughly 10 to 14 syllables in English. So trying to write 575 syllables in English often takes you away from what you're trying to do with the form. So to give you an example on it, probably the most famous uh, haiku that's ever been written was written by Basho, who's the the prevailing sort of master, if, if you like, of haiku. And his poem is Old Pond, a frog jumps in, water's sound. Old Pond, a frog jumps in, water's sound. So in terms of sound units, those are 17 sound units. But that's a literal translation. You can see that comes up a long way short. But what's great about that original verse is the, the poetic concentration and the lightness of it. So these, I'll give you an example of a published translation of that poem that the translator has tried to make 575. 
So you get something like old, dark, sleepy pool, a quick, unexpected frog goes plop, water splash. So you see the, the lightness, the compression has been written away. Yeah. You know, so trying to be true to the Japanese form, even though maybe you're not sticking to those syllable counts, you're true to the lightness and the compression and the concentration of the spirit of the poem. And I think that what that results in more quality haiku in English than often those five seven five efforts can do because they just contain a lot more descriptive detail than is necessary in in the originals and you write the mystery away I think by trying to fit those forms if if that makes yeah, sense yeah yeah um, I think that's uh, that's sort of slightly alternative uh, form that's come out where you can people will write tell a story or tell a joke within the five seven five pattern but really those ones they can be effective but uh, they don't really have anything in common with a traditional haiku form apart from using those syllables yeah absolutely mm-hmm. yeah and that, that's the problem is that if you say haiku the most common perception is that it's a 17 syllable poem in five seven five but i mean if you think about it really this is a form of literature that's lasted 400 years so if all you had to do was write anything that fitted 17 syllables, it's hard to see anything could realistically last that long. Do you know what I mean? Because mm. if that's the challenge, then there really isn't one. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Like yeah. if, if all you were trying to do is meet, meet that syllable count, it's quite a frivolous and throwaway thing. So there is so much more to it. I say the spirit of the form and those compositional qualities of juxtaposition, the seasonal reference the cut in the poem into two parts of fragment and phrase and really I think if anyone was looking to write haiku or to explore it those are the the elements to focus on Mm. much more than the the syllable counts yeah Um, and uh, you uh, run workshops Um, what can people gain from writing haiku I would describe haiku as the art of noticing things and having an awareness of the world around us because uh, what tends to happen is we get more and more busy and hung up and caught up in the, the daily routine of things that there are little things that have a lot of meaning that we tend to overlook um, and so we lose a sense of connection I think particularly to the natural world that increases but also to each other and I think haiku connects us to both it can make you more aware of the world around you and deepen that sense of connection you feel to the world but it can also relate you meaningfully to other people because haiku essentially share in a moment it's it should be free from poetic trickery um, and trying to sound clever or be didactic it's very much about offering a moment that we can share as a common humanity if you like so when the workshops happen by the time the end they, they finish this sort of two or three hours long but by the end you can see the how much it means people to share their their words and Often they're sharing experiences or places or memories that mean a lot to them. Um, they can portray them in a very true and honest way that feels genuine. And then, so, because they're so easily shareable, because they're, they're sort of one breath poems, you just develop this sense of a uh, of communion, if you like, if that if that's not too strong a word. Um, and then you know. You just get the sense of accomplishment that you've written a haiku that works within the form, the structure, the spirit of the thing. And then I guess it's it's a form that because it's so engageable in, in terms of its 
um, ease of composition, just to write a, you know, a general one, that you can go on a path and just develop them quite um, meaningfully and quite, quite rewardingly because you know the, the concision of the form enables you to want to write a lot more of them. So I guess that, that's the key things is the, the feeling of connection and the feeling of accomplishment in writing a, you know, executing a verse well. Yeah, yeah. And uh, going back to your uh, work, are, are there any haiku that uh, you're particularly proud of? Yeah, th- there are a few, I guess, that you... Um, I mean, I don't know if you play any sport at all, but sometimes if you connect with a baseball the right way, you don't even have to look where the ball's going. You know just by the feeling of connecting with the ball that you've hit a home run. So there are some poems that just come to you often very quickly... And they just kind of feel right as soon as they've they've come out. Um, so one of those that happened to me and registered with me, I think probably about eighteen months ago, uh, was one that I saw on a on a commute to work. That one is pre-dawn stars, plumes of breath from a cattle truck. Pre-dawn stars, plumes of breath from a cattle truck. And. There's an objectivity to that poem, I think, but what I was saying then about the, the sense of connection, there are three elements. There's you as the, the observer of these things, the, prum, the plumes of breath from the cattle, and then the stars, and there's that kind of interconnectedness that I think a good haiku, in my opinion, touches on. And if you can feel that kind of resonance of connection you hope that the reader can enter into that and feel it for themselves. And um, that one got shortlisted for a, for a major poetry award for individual poems. And so I hope maybe that was reflective of, of that feeling of interconnectedness that you could enter into that and relate to each of those specific elements that are individual things, but have a continuity running through them and a connectedness that, that means something to you. Because in a haiku, you're not trying to state any kind of emotion um, or to be pointing the reader very definitively or didactically towards an emotion. So the more you can suggest it, the stronger the poem is. And I, that is one that I feel, I just wrote it in one go and I kind of feel it just, just hits that, that point. So that's one definitely that, that I like, if, if you can say that. Yeah, yeah. And um, you've uh, got an exercise for us to try writing some haiku. Yeah. So the point of a haiku really is that is you share this sensory moment of experience or perception. And as we said before, you set that against the seasonal cycles. So you get the sense of the unchanging and the ever-changing working together in, in the same poem. So the exercise was to write on the page, Summer Night. And for that to function as the first line of of our haiku. But before we try and execute the haiku, we need to put ourselves in that place, in that space in our minds. And as much as we can, feel ourselves into being somewhere, any location that you might want to choose on a summer night. And from that point, it's just a bullet point, not in any kind of descriptive detail, but just bullet point and list everything that you feel in that place on a summer night that would appeal to your senses. So what can you see, hear, taste, touch and smell? 
And you begin, first of all, um, by listing the obvious things. So if we said we were on a beach, the most obvious things would be the sea, the moon, the sand. And those are, those are good things. But then the more you think about it and the more immersed you become in placing yourself on a summer night on a beach, you start to notice things like sea fleas running on the rocks or a driftwood fire in the distance or bleached seashells or the exoskeleton of a crab. And that's when you get to more interesting imagery and the more visual detail. And once you've got um, a list, if you like, or a collection of all of those sensory perceptions, it's to use that to finish the haiku. So we start with summer night, and then we end it with a phrase from the imagery that you've collected in, your, in the mind map of your senses. So you might say, summer night, the wave breaks apart the last sandcastle, for instance. Mm-hmm. And it's using that phrase that you take from your imagery to complete the poem and give it that resonance of being somewhere on a summer night. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a nice meditative exercise as well as writing. Yeah, um, yeah, meditative is, is a good word for mm-hmm. it, yeah, because you are a bit like that old pond poem that, from Basho. The first line, old pond, has been perceived to be Basho's own mind in that he had a stillness. So the old pond represents the stillness, was a metaphor for the stillness of the poet's mind. And then the frog jumping into the water and the sound that that creates is a vehicle for revelation. And so that quality of immersiveness is, is really important to the, to the aesthetic and the craft, I think, of, of a good poem. So it's a good, it's a good word to use. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, I had to go myself. Okay. Um, so uh, I'll remember to read these twice. Yeah. Summer night... A menacing zing at my earlobe. Summer night, a menacing zing at my earlobe. Summer night, a duvet mountain range on the horizon of my bed. Summer night, a duvet mountain range on the horizon of my bed. Summer night, everything's in shade even shadows. Summer night, everything's in shade, even shadows. Good stuff, yeah. I like that because you've got the quite intense um, sensory quality of the first poem, like the specifics of the the earlobe, but I like that a lot. But then in the other ones, you kind of have the, the a sense of mystery of the imagery. You know, the, you have the the shadows and the the distant mountain range of something that's actually quite mm. close in terms of your duvet cover, yeah. but has a kind of uh, a wider, more mysterious feeling behind it. I like those a lot. I think you, the the spirit and the feeling of the poems is is strong in, in there, and I guess it kind of shows that summer night might seem when you first hear it quite a um, a set, quite a definitive thing. But you can see that the variety in those three verses that you've written, being meditative and immersing yourself in, in the kind of the sensory moment really opens up a whole world, you know. Um, and that's, that's the quality of the haiku. It, it suggests the entire universe if, if you're just open to receiving them. 
Yeah, and it's a great exercise because it's um, a simple one to try, but uh, when you get into the detail of it, there's a challenge there as well. So um, I, as always, encourage everyone listening to have a go and uh, do send them in. Uh, it'd be great to uh, see what you come up with. Yeah, and then once you, you establish a few of this summer night, you can change the season up. You could say depart in spring or winter morning. You know what I mean? It's not so much to say painted by numbers, but it just gives you a highlight in terms of the construction of the poems. And then once you have that, you find you just start to notice so much more of your around, like your surroundings and the particularly the natural world around you in, in your environment. And it's, that's where you get that feeling of connection to, to carry on. Um, yeah, and it's uh, good at the time of recording. We're in the middle of September, so the seasons are turning, so there's a lot of uh, changes happening. Yeah, um, and I'd say that the transition from summer to autumn is really the, the, the ripe seasonal reference point for a haiku because so much of what you're trying to express is the fleetingness of things, and that's why the seasonal cycle is so powerful is it just reminds you of the impermanence of everything. And so I think there's probably more keenly felt moving from summer to autumn than it is at any other transitional seasonal period throughout the year. So, yeah, it's definitely fruitful material um, for, for haiku. Yeah. And uh, for anyone who wants to learn more about haiku or read more, um, where should they go? Uh, the online journals are a good place to start because they're free. Um, and you'll find a lot of material such as essays or um, historical discussions of, of traditional poems uh, as well as just the poems themselves. So places like Modern Haiku, even though that's a, a, a print journal, there's a, a wealth of kind of resources on there. The Haiku Foundation and Haikupedia, which is a project that they're developing, those are really great reference points. And they have free books that you can access as, as e-books. Um, lots of essays, they have awards, so you can see what's being valued in a, in a critical sense in haiku. But if you're looking for, for print books, there's a book called the Haiku Handbook, which is um, a, an established text that's really good to read. And th there are a few in, in English, but I think to really get to the spirit of the form, go back to the Japanese master's and look at translations of their work. There's one called Essential Haiku, and that has translations by Robert Haas, I believe, is is the translator there. But those are as good as the translations that you're likely to come across, and there's no shoehorn in 575 translations into them. So you really get um, uh, a truer sense of the spirit of, of those poems. So, yeah, definitely any, any of those would be a good place to start, I would say, because they will give you the a real tangible sense of, of the form and not an inaccurately appropriated version, if you like. Yes, yes. And, uh, of course, we'll uh, put your website uh, on the uh, blog so Brilliant. people can um, check out yours. Um, do you have uh, another one or two to finish with? Yeah, sure. Let's go with... So this is... Um, a slightly different one. This is a poem written in one line. So haiku tend to be three lines, but you can explore that. But this one is just one line. And this is river bridge, the distance of my prayer. River bridge, the distance of my prayer. 
and then one more blue hour the day's heat lingers in lilac scent blue hour the day's heat lingers in lilac scent that was paul chambers you can find out more about his work on the website poetrynonstop.com along with the details of that writing exercise do give it a go, look back on your memories of the summer, or you could adapt it to write about autumn or your favourite season. As always, do share your responses via the website or poetrynonstop at gmail.com. A big thank you to La Pub in Newport for providing a quiet, COVID-secure venue for this first face-to-face recording for over six months. I'll be back with more Poetry Nonstop soon. In the meantime, stay safe and keep writing.